Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Tuesday, April 17th, and I'm your host, Vincent Shen. First thing for today, I want to thank everyone who wrote in regarding our show last week and our coverage of Estee Lauder. Lots of great feedback and inspiration, too, for this episode. So before we get into that, though, let me welcome my guest for today, calling into the Full HQ studio via Skype is Senior Motley Fool contributor, Asit Sharma. Great to have you back again. Thanks, Vince. And hey, listeners, I'm going to use a word to describe how I'm feeling today, which I rarely use. I'm feeling fabulous. <laughs> but since I really feel that way, I think I can say that without too much embarrassment. Yeah, well, that is going to be following our theme in terms of uh, the stocks and the companies we're going to talk about today. So, in case you missed our discussion last Tuesday, we dedicated the episode to Estee Lauder. So, that company came in onto our radar as a result of being one of the best performing stocks in the consumer retail space in the past year. It was up almost 80%. And not only that, but this is a more than $50 billion company. So, it's even rare to see a large cap name enjoy such an incredible run in just one year. So, that is a really interesting business. And if you missed the show, definitely go back and check it out. But as a follow up to that episode, we have a uh, related listener question, um, and that brings us back to the skincare and cosmetics industry. So it's been a while since uh, we've actually turned to the mailbag during our show. So here is the question we received from listener Joseph. He said, We hold Ulta and have watched its stock go on sale over these months, unfortunately. It was interesting that Estee Lauder hadn't listed them as a competitor. I guess these companies thrive together then. Both are staking their growth on premium products like Mac, for example. I hadn't anticipated anything like the decline in Ulta, and further surprised at its contrast with Estee Lauder. Can you square the market's perspective here? So, for listeners to have a little bit of big picture context, keep in mind that Estee Lauder shares are up nearly 80% the past year, as I mentioned previously, and management has been putting out very strong guidance for the next several years with double-digit earnings growth, uh, accelerating top-line growth. And on the flip side, Ulta Beauty, ticker ULTA, its shares have declined about 20% over the same time frame, and that slide actually increases to 25% if you go off the all-time high that the stock hit last May. So, given that both of these companies specialize in skincare and cosmetics, why the big divergence in their performance and results over the last year is definitely a fair question. So, before I hand it off to you, Asit, uh, to kind of introduce the company, provide a little bit of an overview of that business, I wanted to note that we discussed Ulta previously uh, on Industry Focus last June, and we had named it as one of our picks for best-in-class brick-and-mortar retailer, and that was pitched by our summer intern at the time, Addy. So, as part of our Ulta discussion now, we're going to be able to look back and see how much has actually changed in just a year's time, and call out some of the things that we discussed last summer, and we'll get back to that. So, Asit, kicking things off for us, can you give us a quick overview of this business? Yes. So, Ulta was founded in 1990, and it bills itself as the largest beauty retailer in the U.S. Um, It has 20,000 products available in its stores, spanning over 500 brands. And this company hits all price points from entry-level up to prestige beauty products. Ulta has 1,074 stores in 48 states, and this is primarily how it distributes products. Uh, The typical store is an open layout store. It's around 10,000 square feet. Um, And each Ulta, most of them have an in-house full-service salon, which is about 950 square feet. Um, Ulta reaches out to its customers through pretty traditional channels. It uses mail advertising, 
newspaper inserts, um, traditional marking. Um, the really interesting thing about its marketing reach, however, is that it has 28 million customers that are enrolled in its loyalty program. And the company says that it gets 90% of sales from these com uh, customers who are enrolled in that program. So that was very impressive to me. That's called the Ultimate Rewards Program, but spelled like Ulta, U-L-T-A-M-A-T-E. Mm -hmm. It also has e-commerce sales, as everyone has to now, whether you're a brick and mortar store um, or mixed blend type of retailer, you've got to be in e-commerce. And these sales comprise roughly 10% of revenue in the last year. Um, Ulta sold about $5.8 billion worth of product. And about 10% of that, about $580 million, was through e-commerce. Now, that channel is growing at a pretty rapid clip, about 65% a year. But of course, it's still very small compared to the uh, traditional brick and mortar layout that it has. Competition, Cumby doesn't really list direct competitors in uh, its annual report, but um, since it straddles this whole realm of entry-level to high-end products, its competitors exist as uh, freestanding mass merchandisers, drugstores, also boutiques. So any physical retail outlet you can think of that might sell beauty products is a potential customer to Ulta. And that's a uh, general overview of this company. Thank you. So a few things that you brought up, uh, I'd like to touch on again, add a little bit more detail. Um, the Square footage for these stores, uh, you mentioned about 10,000 uh, square feet uh, on average for an Ulta location. About 10% of that dedicated uh, to the in-store salons and salon services that they offer. Um, I realize that we bring up square footage pretty often sometimes, talking about these brick-and-mortar retailers, and uh, it can be hard to contextualize that number. So just to give our uh, listeners an idea, um, 10,000 square feet, it's a little bit bigger than your typical Apple store. Um, and they layout of these stores, as you mentioned us, it kind of allows the uh, customer to have kind of an exploratory experience and they think a lot about the format and how that uh, can impact the customer experience in store and how that drives sales. And with the 1,100 approximately stores that they currently have in their network, uh, in 2018, they're expected to see another 100 openings. So they're still opening new locations at a pretty rapid pace. And Mansion believes that uh, overall, I think the US can sustain about 1,700 locations. So you have an idea there of the long term runway that this company has in mind in terms of their store expansions. And then going back to that Ultimate Rewards program, because it's a really powerful part of the story for this company. It's something that was called out specifically in our show last summer as one of the strong points for the company. You mentioned the 28 million customers, how over 90% of the revenue for this company comes from its Ultimate Rewards company uh, members. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of how important, for example, Prime members are to Amazon. I see some parallels here because members of this loyalty program provide the company with a lot of data, a lot of analytics, and it gives the company a greater opportunity to offer uh, something they've described as you know personalized one-to-one -one service to each member of the program. And as we discussed 
last week with Estee Lauder with skincare and cosmetics. These product categories in the, the space, they really thrive and benefit from that high-touch service. And it wasn't surprising to hear during the latest earnings call that management is going to be investing more at Ulta in its workforce, in their training to provide the higher level of service that customers appreciate, if not expect, for certain prestige brands and products. Something else uh, that really came up as a uh, strong aspect uh, for this company in that prior episode when we talked about Ulta, again, was going back to the e-commerce, you know, the revenue for that channel grew about 65% in their uh, fiscal year 2018, uh, accounting for about a tenth of the top line. In the qu- it's seems to be accelerating very quickly. I think for the fourth quarter specifically, it was like 14% of the top line. And it's not massive, but still a very significant, important driver of overall growth for the company. And they actually hit that 10% milestone in terms of their e-commerce digital channel about two years ahead of schedule. And that channel is now expected to make up a larger part of the revenue than management had originally thought that it would. Um, There is a kind of bearish side to this in that you know, we know all these brick and mortar retailers right now are racing to grow their digital capabilities. And that channel does come sometimes with its own basket of problems. So for Ulta, the growing e-commerce business is often cited as a headwind for the company's profitability. The issue there being that the online store is typically more promotional. It's also less profitable overall than the brick and mortar channel. And so that e-commerce growth has contributed to the company's declining margins. And that trend is likely to continue moving forward as a company. And overall, they've abandoned the goal that they set a few years ago of reaching a consistent 15% operating margin. Right now, it seems like they're settling for something closer to about 13%. So it's interesting just to see how e-commerce, as important as it is, can be kind of a double-edged sword at times. And, you know, in the, on this show, I said we've often praised companies for growing that channel, but I don't think we address enough the fact that the problems that Ulta experiences with reduced profitability in e-commerce, that's common to a lot of other retailers that we talk about, too. So, um, moving on now to the heart of Joseph's question. So, why the big discrepancy to how Ulta stock has performed in the past year compared to Estee Lauder? Uh, if you had to boil it down, Asit, what's your take here on the, the differences? One of the primary differences, Vince, is um, success fatigue uh, in my eyes. <laughs> yep. If you take a look at this company since the IPO, so Ulta IPO'd on 10-25-2007, and I ran a quick chart of this uh, before the show. Over the last, just fast forward a little bit, over the last 10 years, so this is not quite 10 years, it's actually about 11 years since the IPO. Over the last 10-year period, this stock has returned 1,500%, which puts it in really rarefied air with some of the names that we talk about. Not you and I as much personally on this show, but some of our colleagues regularly cover stocks like Netflix and, and Amazon. That's tremendous growth. Mm-hmm. Now, if you actually go to the IPO date and take that chart all the way to this morning, this stock has returned about 684%. And that includes that downdraft that you mentioned, Vince. Now, run Estee Lauder beside this company from the IPO date to today on a total return basis. Estee Lauder, which we talked about last week, has returned 685%. They returned (laughs) 1% more on a total return basis since Ulta IPO'd. And that's a function, again, of Ulta um, slowing down the stock coming back. And what happened is basically last year, for the first time in the string of quarters, the company 
missed its first earnings estimates. I'm not a huge fan of investors overreacting to one quarter or two quarters. But oftentimes, you see people who have been in a stock for a long time. And I'm saying people here, but I'm also referring to institutional investors, corporations, pension funds, etc. Once they see that the growth story that has propelled the stock, something like 1,500%, may not be as intact anymore, they tend to start pulling out. And with those outflows, a stock will reset a bit. And I think really that's all that's happening here. Looking at their top line, they grew 21 um, revenue 21% last year. That included that fast store opening pace that you mentioned, plus comparable sales growth of 11%. So Ulta itself hasn't slowed down so much as um, it's not potentially going to grow at that fast clip or as, as fast, fast a growth rate as it has in the past. And some investors want to take profits off the table I'm going to flip it back to you, Vince. One thing I'm also interested in talking about is um, competition and how some of those concerns might affect uh, the stock trajectory. But what do you see in terms of why uh, Ulta may have slowed down a bit? Sure. I agree with a lot of the points that you made in terms of uh, investors, especially those who've kind of been on this uh, upward roller coaster for a long time, wanting to take some profits, kind of having to reevaluate the prospects and the long-term trajectory for this company, given that uh, some of the growth rates are moderating, uh, their guidance for next year is a little bit lower. I'm sure some investors are disappointed by that. But again, this is uh, for Ulta, there's a reason why I think we chose it last year as one of these best-in-class brick-and-mortar retailers, because they are still putting up extremely enviable uh, comparable uh, comparable sales growth and other numbers. But the things that jumped out to me, I think, were on the growth end, some of the things that we've talked about in terms of that moderation, but also with product mix, because uh, if you listen to the leadership at Estee Lauder, so they talk about how their focus on prestige brands is really helping them to enjoy some of the strongest growth in this space, and that is the company's primary focus. And then Ulta, uh, on the flip side, has kind of risen to prominence by being a one-stop shop for all these different uh, products, so fragrance, skincare, cosmetics, salon services, but also across a lot of different price points. And you would think that the mass market is where Ulta felt the most pain, but that's not necessarily the case. It's interesting because uh, the company called out specifically prestige skincare, prestige fragrance, and mass market cosmetics in their last earnings call as really strong categories with double-digit comparable sales growth. And then Meanwhile, prestige makeup actually saw its comps growth cut in half during the fiscal fourth quarter. So there's a lot of granularity here because prestige makeup, it's seeing greater competition, weaker demand. However, the makeup segment overall is over half of total sales for Ulta. And it's a smaller portion at about 40% for Estee Lauder. So I I think that explains some of the difference in the tone being expressed by the two companies and their management teams in terms of how those things shake out and how that's affecting uh, their guidance and their growth prospects going forward. And something else to keep in mind, too, Estee Lauder at this point is trading at all-time highs. They're not that far off from having double the price-to-earnings multiple of Ulta. And so, are these two companies, if you look at them growing at such different rates with their kind of near and midterm guidance that would justify such a big difference in their valuations? I would say no. I think that um, you know Ulta also being in the more traditional retail-focused business, a lot of investors 
these days, we'll see that as more of a weakness given the retail environment that we've seen in 2016 and 2017. Maybe punish the company a little bit more that way. Whereas uh, Estee Lauder, you know, as we mentioned last week, kind of touts the diversity of their channels and all these different uh, partners. Um, and customers that they can sell through and how that's a strength for the company, we would agree with that. So I think that gets to a little bit of the core of some of the differences we've seen in the prospects for the stock and how investors are kind of interpreting those different results. Um, if anything, I'd say to Joseph, and the thing that we've noticed with both these companies, looking at both these companies in the past couple of weeks, is that skincare and cosmetics are a really attractive sector um, and can be overall uh, with in this case, multiple great companies essentially to choose from um, that you know have, might have different niches, different uh, areas that they specialize in. But overall, again, presenting growth numbers for re- in the retail and consumer space that are just very, very impressive. So I'll uh, leave it to you, Asit. Uh, any final thoughts or uh, takeaways you would leave investors with, or Joseph specifically, um, based on either Ulta or both these companies or however it is? Absolutely. So one of Joseph's um, subtexts of his question is, can these two companies thrive together? And I think you just touched on that, uh, Vince, that they actually are pretty complementary because Estee Lauder, for them, Ulta is a distribution channel. Many of the products which Ulta's management cites as faster growing products uh, helping their sales happen to emanate from Estee Lauder. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's good for both companies when the prestige brands in makeup at Estee Lauder do well. You can own both of these companies. Um, I would also say that um, you know the world has, is flipped a little bit. It's like a Shakespeare play right now um, in that at the end of a Shakespeare comedy, the jesters act as kings and sometimes the kings act as jesters. And you mentioned this weird state that we're in with these two companies in that um, Estee Lauder has an earnings multiple, which is trading right now around 35 times forward earnings. Yep. And Ulta is, I think, down to 21. So that may, it, some of this uh, skepticism is factored in into Ulta, but it's not, um, not a bad entry point still. And for Joseph, maybe it's okay to hold this stock. One last point I do want to make, though, respective to these margins, uh, one layer deeper, why investors are a little bit skeptical. So Vince talked about the fact that the company had a long-term growth target for operating margin 15%, they've dialed that back to 13%. Because of this massive 20,000 product uh, inventory the company carries, its gross margin is only about 35%. Now, out of that 35% of every sales dollar, it's got to pay selling expenses, overhead, at the end of the year, it's close to profitability uh, to Estee Lauder. Ulta has a net profit margin of 85 to 9.5% in a given year. We talked about last week how Estee Lauder has a 10% net margin. But if you remember from last week, Estee Lauder, because it doesn't have so many physical stores and has these multiple distribution channels, it has a gross margin of 80%. So it's got a lot of space underneath that first line to play around with and experiment with. They spend a lot on R&D, et cetera. So they can react to adverse conditions, maybe with a little bit more ease than Ulta can. So Ulta really has to manage its costs going forward uh, and try to figure out what its ultimate, um, again, bad pun there, its ultimate product (laughs) mix will be to provide something close to that 15% operating margin that'll get them their 10% at the end of the year. 
But last thought, Joseph, it's not um, a sell here. This seems like a great company, still growing very, very uh, strong and um, is worthy of being in your portfolio. But why not buy them both? You can't, you can't lose. Estee Lauder, Ulta, good combination in a portfolio. Thanks a lot, Asit. And I'm really glad that you brought up uh, some of the difference in their profile, mar- uh, the margin profile there for those two companies, and the kind of different levers that presents for management at each company. If uh, conditions, as you mentioned, become adverse in one space, they can kind of change things up a little bit more. Flexibility uh, there, probably on the Estee Lauder side. So, as always, thanks to our listeners for tuning in. We love getting questions like the one we received from Joseph. So. Um, always feel free to reach out to us. Uh, the email, industryfocus at fool.com, goes to all the hosts. So for any sector, not just consumer retail, you can reach out to us. We're always happy to take these mailbag style questions. And thanks, Asset, for hopping on today. Thanks a lot. This was fun. People in the program may own companies discussed in the show, and the Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear during the program. Full on. Mm-hmm.